Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Okay, so hello. My name, as Steph mentioned, is Delmar. If I haven't met you, I have gotten to be a part of this community and this team for a few years now. Um, And... I get to talk to you today, continuing our series of relationships um, about our relationship to material things. And so, um, for what it's worth, I'll be talking about that for, honestly, probably about like five to 10 minutes of this thing. Um, What I'm gonna spend more time on is kind of the context that surrounds that. And so, briefly, before we dive into it, I wanna apologize to Lucas, who conveniently isn't here because that was what he wanted me to speak about. So sorry for using your theme as a chosen horse for my own, my own hobby horse. Um, I also want to thank him for trusting me with the mic tonight. So we'll see if you guys hear from me again sometime in the future. Um, I also quickly want to prepare you guys for my style of speaking. Um, this is my second time up here. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so on the one hand, it'll probably be a little bit choppy. Um, On the second hand, I am in my day-to-day life a student. I am not a preacher, so I write essays. And so I think that this thing is pretty packed with content. So if you're in here and that's not something that jives with you, then um, it's my hope and my prayer that something in here will stand out to you tonight and that you can take that away and chew on it. But if you feel like you're being overloaded with stuff, let the other stuff kind of flow by, grab onto the something, and let that be what you take away. Um, for those of you who love a lot of stuff, this is for you. And for everybody, but you know. <laughs> okay, so thinking about this, I wanted to base it on scripture, because what better thing to do? So we are jumping into Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Now this is a portion of scripture that I'm sure many of you guys are gonna be familiar with. It's Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Um, where do we go? So please follow me tonight. Oh, before that, in that Jesus is talking about our relationships to that which we make central in our lives, which includes material things, but more generally is about what we make central in our lives. So please follow me tonight as we try our best to listen to the words of Jesus Christ as he spoke them, not just to people 2,000 years ago, but as he's speaking them here today to you and to me. So without further ado, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
Okay, so here we find Jesus counseling us to be weary of what we make priorities in our lives, what we trust and what we give our lives over to. So he does this by using three metaphors, if you've noticed. The first is of treasures, the second is of light, and the third is of masters. So what I wanna do tonight is to talk through each of those, to break them down and relate it all ultimately to that main point, what we give our lives to. So are you guys ready? Sweet. Okay, let's pray and let's jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for being among us. Lord, we know that you speak. We know that your word is alive today. And we know that you have the power to change things. And so we thank you for your good plans for us. And we thank you for what you are up to here tonight among us. We love you. We praise you. And we honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so first thing is first. Let's talk about treasure. Um, I'm just gonna read this part one more time. Again, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wanna start with that last line. Because it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Isn't it more natural to find what you treasure in your heart? Like, when someone asks you what you love, since nobody's out here asking you what you treasure except for maybe Smeagol, what do you do? What do you think about? Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Like, I don't know about you, but that's pretty well exactly what I do. I think about what's in my heart, what I have good feelings for, and I answer, I love my wife and sleeping. The point here is that Jesus turns that around. He tells us not only are our treasures found in our hearts, but our hearts are found in our treasures. Now, it should be noted that the heart in Jewish culture is not just the seat of emotions, but it's the center of the whole personality. So it includes emotions, but it also includes Um, It also includes the mind and it includes the will. So consider it. What are we talking about when we talk about treasuring something? Well, think of what it means to treasure something. It means to hold it close to your heart, to keep it safe because of the place you've given it in your heart. In short terms, it's a matter of loving something, about caring about it enough to place it in your heart and in the process, giving your heart over to it. Augustine, St. Augustine, one of the biggest theological honchos in the 2,000 years that the church has been around, speaking from all the way back in the fourth century, he described people as primarily desiring or loving creatures, not primarily as thinking creatures, not primarily as acting creatures, but loving creatures. We are created from God's love to receive his love and to return it back. We get the choice of what we love but the choice that we don't have is that we have that love to give, so to speak. So we have it from God and what we get to decide and what we get to be responsible with is what we choose to give that love to. So when Jesus says, where your treasures are, there your heart is also, we might say in a bit of a rough translation, you are what you love. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's, like, it's kind of like turning the telescope around. Um, but instead of it being totally useless, it's actually a really helpful discernment tool. Um, So there you go, that's the last verse. 
If we're gonna move back to the first two verses, the question that Jesus is bringing to us is a matter of where we're storing our treasure, on earth or in heaven. But it kind of raises the question, what does it mean to store treasures in heaven? This is where we might have to challenge some views about heaven. Because believe it or not, the, general, or the Bible generally doesn't depict heaven as a place where angels sit playing harps, rocking out the freebird solo on clouds. Heaven not only means the place where Jesus and the Father are, but it is where things are untainted by sin and by death. So basically what we're talking about is eternal things, the things that matter the most and that will not pass away. Jesus says, store your treasures in eternal things. So what the heck are eternal things? Well, if we turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, the Apostle Paul tells us that in light of everything, these three things now remain, faith, hope, and love, and that the greatest of these is love. So faith in the God who created us, who sustains us, and who saves us. Our relationship with God is eternal. Two, hope. Hope in the good future that he has established in Christ, where everything will be made new. God's, fu- excuse me. God's future in Christ is eternal. And number three, love as the character of God himself and that which is his. His love and that which abides in his love is eternal. Hence the two greatest commandments, love God and love others. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? We love God and we love others. Now, does it store up like a bank account? Are we putting uh, savings into the account every time that we love God or others? Or are they like virtue points that we collect and that we cash in every time we've done something bad to cover our bases? No. The reality is that we only see the full sides of these things on the other side of eternity. But even here and now, we still get to see some of that stuff. When we do good to others, not for applause, but simply because it is good and it is what God has commanded us to do, we are blessed. The more we come, the more we do that, the more we come to deeply know the truth in the word, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And as we get to know that, we get closer and closer to know the heart of the gospel in Jesus Christ, who was himself the embodiment of that word. As we pour out ourselves for others in his name, we imitate his own pouring out for us. And as just as Jesus Christ himself was filled with life to the point of being resurrected from the grave. So we know that he is good to fill us up. So store up your treasures in heaven, place your heart in God and follow his commands so that you will not only experience true riches on the other side of eternity, but so that you will know them in part here and now. So that's the first metaphor. Um, In summary, we can break it down into three points. One, your heart is where your treasure is. Two, store up treasures in heaven, not earth. And three, do that by loving God and by loving others. Okay, is everybody still with me tonight? Right on. All right, let's tack on to the second one, Uh, light. So returning to Jesus's words, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, so for this metaphor, we're working with eyes, we're working with light, we're working with darkness in the body. So let's look at eyes for a second. So eyes work by taking in light, right? Which presents, the the light presents an image that the eyes send to the brain. 
So if your eyes are healthy, they take in light. If they're unhealthy, they don't take in light. I just wanna take a moment because I know that I just blew all of your guys' brains, so we can just sit in that for a sec. Um, but naturally, we may think about that in spiritual terms as revelation, right? Healthy eyes in a spiritual sense are able to see the truth in a way that is parallel to literal light coming into literal eyes. Similarly, unhealthy eyes don't receive light, but they receive what? Darkness instead. They're spiritually blind and unaware of the truth. Now, that may be the eyes, but what role does the body play in all of this? Jesus says that the light or the darkness that comes through the eye fills the body. So what's going on there? Well, the body in this case is not unlike the heart from the last metaphor. According to the Bible scholar John, Scott, John Stott, um, the Bible often presents the eye as equivalent to the heart. And so to set the heart means the same thing as to fix the eye. Just as our treasure affects our whole personality, so our eye affects our whole body. So what Jesus is asking us is the same thing, but from a different angle. Are our lives filled with light or are they filled with darkness? So what does it mean? Practically speaking, what does it look like to be filled with light? This is where all the Bible nerds in the house saw this coming from a mile away. Surprise, Jesus is the light of the world. We get that from John 8, 12. And to be full of light is to be full of him, which means being full of his spirit. And this is where it's exciting because on a practical terms, what does this look like? It looks like spiritual fruits. It looks like those things, those practical everyday things that we all long and hunger for on a daily basis. It means love, it means joy, it means peace, 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 lol. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Having healthy eyes then means being able to see Jesus as God to fix our eyes on him and to allow his spirit to fill our lives as the light that enables us to see everything else. The spirit then grows spiritual fruit in us. So how do we help cultivate these spiritual fruits? Well, much in the same way that we store up treasures. We love God and we love others since that is what it means to obey God and that to obey God is to trust him and to trust him is to receive him as the light of our lives. So that is the light metaphor, to be filled with the spirit and live a rich and fruitful life. So in summary, breaking this down again into three notes. One, the eye is the lamp of the body, which is our whole selves. Two, the light is Jesus who fills us with the Holy Spirit. Three, the Holy Spirit grows spiritual fruit in us, which we help by loving God and by loving others. Okay, so this will bring us to the last of the three metaphors. And this is where we're gonna be talking about masters. So one more time, let's go back to what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So in this passage, there are two main things that are going on as far as I can see it. The first is the more obvious. You can only serve one master, right? Faithfulness is reserved for one. And when we think that we can serve more than one, Jesus is telling us here that we're just fooling ourselves. When Jesus says at the end of this passage that we can't serve both God and wealth, that's the natural outcome of this more general principle. And now that is important and I certainly don't wanna dismiss that, but what I would like to spend a little bit more time diving into tonight 
is this second point, because I think it's the more subtle one that sits in the background. And that point is that like it or not, we all serve a master. And I know this is everybody's favorite thing with everybody's favorite metaphor, because we all love serving masters. But it's true, we all serve something, whether we like it or not. In spiritual terms, this is what we often call worship. We all worship something. To worship something is to place it on a pedestal in our lives, to give it a privileged position to speak to us and to shape our lives. So do you see already how this is kind of like the first two metaphors? Um, to illustrate this a little bit, uh, I found some words by the contemporary writer David Foster Wallace to be really interesting and kind of helpful. He was a profound observer of human life and behavior, and he spoke about worship in a speech that, excuse me once again, he spoke about worship in a speech that he once gave to a bunch of college grads. Now, to be fair, to be frank, David Foster Wallace was not a Christian, but nevertheless, I think that these, these words are very interesting, and if anything, they're kind of more interesting coming from somebody who's not of the faith. So he says, you get to decide what to worship, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice that we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in this life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. That's the end of his words, but to them I wanna add a couple more things that I think might be relevant for some folks. Worship authenticity and you will feel like a fake like you are not the real you, but that somehow you are something different. Spend your life chasing authenticity and you will feel like an imposter everywhere you go. Similarly, but slightly different, is your best self. If you worship this picture that you have of your best self or the best version of yourself, you will always feel second rate, like you are never enough. Now, to be clear, in and of themselves, these things are good right? They all have their right places in our lives. Beauty is a great thing. In many ways, it's the face of goodness. Power is important too, because without power, there's no creation, there's no change, there's no affecting things for the better. Authenticity, of course, is good, as is trying to be a better person. The point here is not to condemn these things of themselves, but simply the worship of them. Now, this includes material things too, though personally, I find my relationship with things to be a little bit less of a direct want that consumes me in the same way as these things that we've just talked about and a little bit more of a response. And this is where I wanna talk about our relationship with material things tonight. It may very well be that you don't feel the same as I do, but I think that there's quite a few who feel the same. So let me explain. 
Consider for a moment what it's like worshiping your best self, for example, making it your master. Effectively, what you've done is you've placed this person or this idea on a pedestal. And what does it do from this pedestal? It judges. As the thing that you worship, it becomes the measuring stick by which you judge everything, including yourself. And so it receives your thoughts, it receives your actions, it receives your feelings, your entire life, and it measures it all against itself. And since this thing is the best version of yourself, you probably won't be meeting its criteria very often because how often do we actually hit the best version of ourselves? Really, how easy is it to imagine ourselves even just a little bit better at any moment, right? I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you fall short all the time. And if you're like me, in literally any situation, you can, if you want to, imagine, well, it could have gone like this. This might have been a little bit better. Well, this could have changed. And as soon as that comes into play, there's the ground for it to judge you and to look down upon you. This thing ends up looking down on everything that you do, telling you that it's not enough, it doesn't add up, you need to do better, day in and day out, moment by moment. You find yourself under the burden of this judgment which ends up dictating how you see yourself and how you live your life. And after a while, it's no surprise that you get tired of it. You grow weary and even possibly desperate for some relief. So what do you do? You find things that give you relief. Now, sometimes it's constructive and sometimes it can play a helping role in taking this thing off of its pedestal, whatever it might be, and replacing it with Christ. And when that happens, that's amazing. That's a total gift but we all know that other times it's more blatantly destructive and can turn into addictions pretty quickly. Anything from something as inane or silly as like buying candy bars to cheer you up, to drowning it out with social media, to looking at porn, to finding a partner, to using substances. I think for most of us, this is where our relationship to material things comes to the front. Because how easy is it to stifle the insecurities and the worries that come from this kind of incessant judgment day to day than by picking up your phone and hopping on Instagram? Or by going to the store and buying something that just makes you forget about this stuff for a minute and takes you out of it? Guys, material things offer momentary hiding places from the difficulties that we experience day to day. And part of the insidious nature of this stuff is that part of our world here is set up in a way to facilitate it. Anybody who's watched that big movie, The Social Dilemma, knows exactly what I'm talking about. And for anybody who doesn't, I'm just gonna talk about it for a second. We live today in a consumer culture. We have systems and practices that deeply form our society and in turn, deeply form us into people who want to consume things, who naturally look to things for comfort and ease to help with these burdens of everyday life. Social media and screen time are classic examples of this today. Companies behind these things design them to be addictive, to keep you on them as much as they possibly can so that they can make as much money off of you as they can. Make no mistake, there is stuff going on behind the scenes with these things that makes it more difficult for us to maintain healthy boundaries and relationships with them. Like, who feels good after an old-fashioned doom scroll? You know, who finishes one of those and goes, man, that was refreshing. I gotta do this more often. You know, nobody. And if any of you in here feel that way, then we've got a prayer team afterwards. We'll pray that's the photo of you. <laughs> the point is that it's tough to get rid of these habits. 
and the idols that are at the heart of them. And it's tougher still with competing interests on the other side that are working to keep you coming back for more. So now again, going on Instagram can be a good way of connecting with friends, having a laugh, just enjoying some rest. Lord knows that my wife and I love going on for like 30 minutes to watch stupid videos that make us laugh. Is the heart, the heart of the matter is what Jesus is pointing us to with these verses. So with that in mind, let's return to Jesus's third metaphor, serving a master. Who we serve determines how we live. We saw this with the first two metaphors, as your treasure determines your heart, and as your eyes determine the light in your body, so who or what you serve determines how you live your life. What's more and interesting on a deeper level than the first two metaphors is that this also makes it clear that what you serve or who you serve determines who you are. If we have masters, it means that we are servants, even slaves, like the translation that we just read makes clear. And to be honest, there's a, when I first was writing this out, I was kind of shying away from that. But spending some time with it, as somebody who's experienced that sort of internal judgment that I just described in my life, I feel like slave is an accurate description. The amazing thing is that God doesn't call us slaves when we serve him. What does he call us? His children. If we serve something else, we find ourselves becoming slaves to them. But when we serve God, we find ourselves no longer slaves, but we find ourselves as children and subjected not to the incessant demands of whatever the slave master is, but we find ourselves instead subjected to the love of God through Jesus who accepts us warts and all on our good days and on our bad days. So in sum, for this last metaphor on treasure, we can break this down into four points. One, we all serve something. Two, we can only serve one thing, not two. Three, when we serve God, we become his children. And four, when we serve other things, we become slaves. So in all three of these metaphors, what I think Jesus is saying to us over and again is that God is the only one that can rightly occupy that place of worship in our lives, that central spot that dictates everything else. He alone is worthy of that central place of trust. And as I come to a close tonight, I'm gonna to invite the band back up. Um, and I wanna finish off by talking a little bit about trust and trusting the Father, since that is what we're talking about here. To serve the Father, to worship him, to make him your treasure and your light is to be his child. So, what does it mean to be a child of God? Well, when it comes to the stuff that we've just talked about, the hardships of daily life, it looks like finding our refuge in him. Looking back to the first metaphor, the one that's about treasure, Jesus instructs us to put our treasure in heavenly things. And what's the reasoning that he uses? Because that's where they won't be vulnerable to destruction and thievery that's where they'll be protected and safe. And since our treasure is where our hearts are, what Jesus is telling us here is to be careful about where, where and to whom we give our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. To be a child of God is to trust him as our father with our most precious gift. 
our lives. So, since it's a matter of trust, and since we all have different relationships with fathers and different experiences with trusting people, how the heck do we go about trusting God when we feel like we can't? That's a great question, Delmar. Thank you for asking that. Well, what do you do when you don't have the trust you want with a friend or a family member? You try to squeeze it out? Do you, tr do you beat yourself up for not having enough trust and then try to force it? I think we can all agree that that's a pretty bad plan for building trust with anybody. If anything, all you're gonna do by doing that is wear yourself out, you'll get tired of trying, and you'll probably even grow resentment towards the person that you actually want trust with, not resentment. It's the same with God. You can't force faith. So if we can't force faith, what the heck do we do? We ask him for it. Now, that might seem a little bit simplistic and there may be some of you in here who feel like that's a little bit of a, what do you call it? Not as big of a crescendo as you would have liked. Um, but let me speak about it for just one sec because God doesn't just honor your faith to do the big things. And even the big things like conquering that fear, like standing up in that particular way, or like loving that person in this particular moment and just watching the thing go by. But he honors your faith in the little things too, those mustard seed things. That means all of it, because did you know that it requires faith to even ask God for faith? Did you know that even taking it one step back, it requires faith to ask God for the desire for faith. Whatever it is you're bringing to the table, if you are coming to the table, that's a show of faith. That's a starting point. So if that's where you feel like you're at tonight, or if you find yourself there sometimes here and there throughout your life, can I please, please, please encourage you, don't neglect and look down on those small embers. Take those receive them, recognize them as the gift of faith that they are and continue to bring them before God. Keep asking. God sees it and he rewards it. So keep asking, keep it up, keep turning to him and you will watch that faith grow. That's the promise that he gives us. So for anyone who feels unsure about their own faithfulness, I hope that you're encouraged. Learning, the reality is learning to trust God is, is the journey of a Christian. That's the heartbeat of it. And the reality is that it will likely take a full lifetime to get even remotely decent at it. So while you're going about it, be gentle, be patient, and be persistent with it. God alone is worthy of your hearts. He is worthy of your eyes. He is worthy of your life. So don't keep giving your best to things that don't deserve it, whatever that might be. Give it to the one who gave it to you in the first place and watch him shape your relationships with everything else, including Instagram. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word and thank you for your love. We pray, Lord, that you would carry your word in our hearts as we walk about our weeks and do everything that is that we do from the most mundane to the most serious. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us about where you are in our lives, the faith that you've given us, Lord. And we ask you right now, would you give us the faith that we need to receive, Lord God, the love and the goodness and the kindness that is in your word, Jesus Christ himself. 
We love you, Lord, in this place. We honor you and we praise you. Amen.